This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at trustmark.com slash PPP. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Today, Money Talks wants to help you to prepare before the storm. That storm might be weather, economic, or family issues. We've got some websites, some suggestions, and we'd like to hear your suggestions as well. And our experts can take your personal finance questions. Contact us by email. The address is money at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Nancy. Let's start with you. What financial news do you want to share? Well, today we're talking about emergencies, and one of the biggest emergencies could be the loss of your job. So we pay a lot of attention to those weekly unemployment claims, and the good news is those numbers are trending down. It's a weekly number, so we don't give a lot of credence to just one week. We look at the trend. At the same time, those numbers are still really high. And just this morning, I was reading an article that talked about this split. As we see the economy starting to improve, we're going to see a lot of people do very well, but we're still dealing with a lot of folks on one end who may be struggling to find a job as we see the, the job market has changed, automation has come in, all kinds of things have happened during the pandemic, so we're very concerned about that. Uh, I heard on the news that uh, the is it the payroll protection plan, the PPP, has been extended. Nancy, could you remind us what that is? Well, that is for um, small businesses in particular, that they can apply for a loan which can be forgiven if they use the bulk of that money to basically keep their employees employed. And um, so it's a way to keep those um, folks still working and help our small businesses. And I've been hearing of some small businesses that were able to get even more with this second round because they did um, try to focus on the really small ones. The first round, we heard of a lot of bigger companies that got access to that money. Good morning, Ryder. What about uh, the financial news on your mind? Good morning. Well, I, you know, I, I, I can't go a day without mentioning that the, the boat that was stuck in the Suez Canal, it has been freed, and, uh, and there's been a lot of good content generated from that. But one of the things that kind of reminds me of, and I am, I am, I am taking this idea almost in whole cloth from, uh, from a Twitter thread I, that I saw, but it reminds us um, that, you know, as much as we like to get excited about, about you know, technology companies and new technology and how it's changing the world, uh, the world still relies on lots of physical infrastructure. Uh, all, those, uh, all these fun things and these computers and everything that makes the internet, all the physical things that make the internet work, those are still packed in shipping containers and put on boats and, you know, they float across the ocean to us. Um, you know, and, and tying into what we're going to be talking about today, uh, you know, wildfires in California, it's blackouts, you know, in Texas and the, and the water crisis we have here in uh, our own state and city. You know, it reminds us that 
physical infrastructure is is still so important and you know there are lots of technological solutions that are making things easier we're making uh, our transportation more efficient we are we are not needing to use infrastructure as much if we're working from home but it is still there and it is still very important we still have to live in houses with roofs over our heads it's not going away um, that physical world is still incredibly incredibly important you're right. I think infrastructure has been an issue uh, both on the state and uh, federal level in terms of uh, on the radar of, for our lawmakers to to try to improve our infrastructure. Uh, Ryder, Absolutely. I consider you our default expert on cryptocurrency, <laughs> and so this is a somewhat of a related uh, topic. Have you heard about NFT, non-fungible tokens? And if so, could you give us a quick primer on that? Yes. Okay. So uh, non-fungible tokens. Um, this is so. Uh, first, uh, the concept of fungibility. And Nancy, you can correct me if I'm if I'm defining this wrong. But f something that is fungible is you, know, you can just pretty much easily exchange one for the other. We say all the time that dollars are fungible. If you have one dollar bill in one hand and one dollar bill in the other hand, they're the same thing. You can swap them around. You can use one for one thing. And what, nobody's going to notice. They're the same thing. They're fungible. Um, so non-fungible is is implying that this is unique. This is an exclusive thing. Um, since it's a non-fungible token, it's a token. So we're talking about cryptocurrencies. They often call their coins, they call them tokens, they call them their little digital pieces of value that, that's a little, um, a piece of code that says, you know, uh, Kevin Farrell owns this Bitcoin. Um, but with a non-fungible token, people have taken that and moved into things besides coins or moving beyond currencies or tradable things like that. And it's more akin to digital art. Um, very often, you know, a non-fungible token will be a digital uh, representation of some art. Maybe it was a digitally created uh, picture. Maybe it's just a, a photo and, and you know information about a physical uh, piece of art. Uh, but that is, you know, encoded as a digital thing. So you can say, you know, kind of like you can go to the Louvre and visit th and see the Mona Lisa. Um, you can now, uh, or, or you go to an art auction so that you can buy the original um, piece of art. Even though, you know, you, we, we can make copies of, of, of any physical art out there. I mean, we, someone can paint a new, you know, paint something again. We can do new prints of photographs. We can do new sculptures. Um, you know, this happens all the time, but there's something, you know, for, for folks who collect art, for folks who want that exclusive, that unique, I own the original, that connection, you know, they maybe think of it as a connection to the original artist or the original, you know, whatever was going on at the time. We now have that for digital goods, um, which is interesting just because, you know, I can, I can make a bajillion copies of a of a of an image on my computer. I can just publish it online. But now someone can say, "Oh no, I own the original uh, picture of this." People have started selling tweets. Uh, you know that I, anyone can go view that tweet, but someone owns the original tweet, is what that is. 
Yeah, what I thought was interesting is I was reading on it last night, and you, as you write, the, the, I think someone autographed or some sort of tweet or something, and it was it seemed to me there was some enormous amount of money paid for it. So I guess mm -hmm. like any sort yes. of new thing, things are going to have to shake out as to, you know, what is the value of your non-fungible token? Some things might certainly right. have more intrinsic value than others. Uh, so Yes. But uh, I've just heard about that, and I appreciate that. It was a great explanation. Um, and so maybe we'll be hearing more in the news about these NFT, non-fungible tokens. So we're talking about preparing before the storm. And, Ryder, you recently posted a blog concerning preparedness on the New Perspectives website. That's newper.com. Uh, what emergencies are predictable? Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, a whole bunch of things are predictable, but there's a lot of things that are kind of easy to prepare for. Um, just, you know, uh, you know, there's always going to be upcoming large expenses. You know, you are, you know, from time to time, you know, you may have, you know, you may have a, a large expense with, say, like your car or, you know, your your roof, your house needs replacing. I'm sorry, your your hat with your house, your roof needs replacing. Wow. Um, so things like that, you know, you can prepare for their various things. You know, you know, we have things like, um, uh, you know, car insurance. If you get into an accident, you know, you can always just set aside some savings, you know, for, for something that, you know, you know, you have an old appliance in your house, set aside savings for that. Those are common things that people are like, oh, no, I just need a large amount of money today, right now. And, you know, that's when we talk about having emergency savings. A lot of times that's the sort of things we're talking about. Things that's like literally the solution to the problem is just have some money on hand. Uh, Nancy, can you come up with examples of other uh, emergencies or eventualities that we could uh, prepare for in advance? Oh, there's so many, Kevin. Uh, the one thing I think of first is going to be a health emergency. And certainly any serious illness can really hit your finances hard, especially since our insurance doesn't pay what it used to. Um, when my first husband had a terminal illness, we had excellent insurance. Um, it covered most of everything. I had very little out of pocket. That is no longer the case. And so a family facing some sort of serious medical situation is going to be facing also a financial crisis at the same time. Also, something smaller could be, you know, your car dies and suddenly you are faced with, I've got to buy a new car. And that's going to be a shorter term issue that you can deal with and figure that out. And then finally, what a lot of us are also dealing with is aging parents. And that comes with a lot of financial pressures as you look at how to care for them and have they uh, accumulated savings to be able to do that for themselves, or are you going to have to pitch in to help along the way? Uh, Ryder, what is a resilient budget? Yeah, so a resilient budget, yeah, one of the ideas that you know, I kind of like in preparing for an emergency is, is being resilient, so you can adapt to change. A resilient budget is one that has um, a large amount of savings built in. 
you know, it can it can bear the weight of high expenses. It can bear the weight of volatile expenses. Um, so, for an example of an uh, of a budget that is not resilient, you know, if if you take home a hundred dollars and you spend ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents, you cannot bear more than a one penny increase in expenses. Um, but if you're taking home a hundred dollars and you're only spending fifty dollars, you know, your your expenses could double, and and you would be, you know, I mean, it'd be a change, but you would be okay because you have that money there. So, um, just being uh, being good with your money, having uh, also, other tools that help you be resilient with your budget are, you know, uh, extending, uh, using using credit wisely. So, uh, you know, folks who have a mortgage, um, then they they may have a more resilient budget than rent because, you know, they may have a lower mortgage payment. They may have the ability to kind of defer some of those payments in an emergency. They may even have some insurances that that cover some of those payments. Um, you know, I think of that more more along the lines with student loans. You can all often often defer those student loans. Whereas, you know, if you're paying out of pocket for something, uh, then if you don't have that money, then you can't do it and you can't get it. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about financial preparation for emergencies. What's a good website to go for for tips on preparing for a storm? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Ready.gov is the federal government's website that discusses preparedness for the pandemic, tornadoes, flooding, and emergency alerts. 
So, Nancy, Ryder brought up the concept of a resilient budget, you know, a low expenses, a high savings. Uh, and if you are looking at your budget and trying to figure out if you're there or maybe how to get there, uh, does this bring back our discussion on, on sort of wants versus needs? Oh, absolutely. And um, you have to think about what's really important. That means looking at your goals. And we all have short-term goals such as, okay, I'm going to buy a new car in the next six months. We might have intermediate-term goals in the next three years. I'm going to buy a house. And then we're going to have long-term goals. And in that bucket is going to be things like education of our children if they're young. Um, and then, of course, retirement along the way. But that helps us figure out uh, what's important to us. And once we figure out what's important and keep our eyes on those prizes, then we can deal with, you know, what's really the thing that we need versus what we want and put off some of those wants. We've also uh, on the show frequently talked about an emergency fund, and I think Ryder mentioned that as well. Uh, Nancy, my question has always been, when you have an emergency fund established, you've got some money in there and something comes up, how do you decide, you know, when to use it? If, you know, using the example of the rainy day fund, how do you know when it's time to pull out the umbrella? Or how do you know when to use your emergency fund? When is it raining? Right. Well, it's raining when your regular funds, your regular income cannot cover something. And hopefully that's going to be a bigger thing we talked about, you know, car breaking down, needing new tires on the car. Um, you know, I deal with some people who create an emergency fund and then refuse to, to put their hands on it, even when they have an emergency. And then I have others who put money in and then are constantly taking it back out. So they haven't really set up their budget correctly. But it's going to be for those unusual expenses or one-time expenses. And that's what it's designed for. It's designed to keep you from pulling out a credit card or taking on additional debt. And that's what that money is for as soon as you tap into it. And you should always have some sort of goal for how much you want to keep on hand. A dollar amount, I think, is always a good amount to, to focus on. I'm going to keep $3,000. So if I have an emergency and now my account is only 2000 then I really need to tighten things up so that I build back up to that 3000 and get ready for the next emergency. I fall in that camp of uh, I get you, sometimes I think you you work so hard building it up <laughs> when something happens and you need to to take some of it out it is a tough uh, you know a tough decision to make but that's why it's there for and I like your advice too of if you do use it then buckle down uh, after having to use it to make sure you get it back up to where you're more comfortable um, what about uh, other than the obvious benefit of you know having some money on hand are there some other uh, advantages do you think to having an emergency fund like a peace of mind, maybe? Nancy, what do you think? Definitely. You know, um, there's so many things that can happen. And in this last year with the pandemic really taught us that nothing is for sure. This was such an unusual situation. And just to know that you have some money set aside in case a big event happens, um, it, is, it just lets you sleep at night. And you're not going to worry about every single thing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the air conditioner broke down and it's August and what am I going to do? You know that there's something that you can fall back on and that is so reassuring. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, peace of mind is a big thing, but I always tell people that, you know, uh, emergency savings, it's really, it's really boring. 
it, it just sits there, you know, and earns, you know, a couple dollars in interest. And it can actually, you know, when you're just starting out and you're really, you know, kind of champing at the bit to, you know, get started on other investments, you know, making sure you are prepared for those emergencies is so important. But, you know, it can be hard to just see that money sitting there not growing for you. But it's it's more value than just, okay, I've got, you know, $1,000 in the bank. It's, it's the value of knowing that should you need it, it's there. And so hopefully, you know, once people kind of get there, it is something that you can, you can, you can forget about. Uh, and, and it's not really going to be a drag once you're going on, but it, it's going to be there to really, when your financial situation is falling apart, that, that emergency fund is going to be what is holding, what, what lets you hold together and bounce back. So uh, Roder, how would you suggest starting an emergency fund? So just a, some maybe some guidelines. Yeah, absolutely. So um, <laughs> the simplest thing, you know, for, for folks who are just, oh, I don't even know where to start. Just open a savings account. I, I, I encourage folks to open a savings account that is not necessarily uh, strictly tied to their checking account. Not not super easy to access. Um, and just start. Just put in a hundred dollars. Um, just just get a few dollars to start off. And usually target, um, say, just some arbitrary number, say target $1,000 and build up to that over, over your first few months if you're just getting started. Uh, and since we, we often talk about it, you know, we've referenced several times, you know, oh, we need three to six months of expenses. You know, I think of it in a much more complicated, we can think of it in a much more complicated way, but that is a great place to start. Just say, you know, what, what, what am I really spending in a month? I need to make sure I have that covered because, you know, one simple thing is, you know, what if, uh, you, you know, what if your paycheck arrives a day late, but your bills arrive a day early? You know, you just, you just don't, you don't want to be in a bind because just a weird situation like that. Um, so, so having just a couple months, you know, figure out what that number is and just target that and just slowly build up to it. You know, it's never something that's like, you need to build this up today or you need to put everything else aside to get this. It's important, but it's always a target. Uh, if I may add just a couple of personal stories about uh, an emergency fund. First of all, uh, you know, Ryder, you m said just start out, open a savings account and just put some money in. And I think and we've mentioned this on the program before as well. Once you get into that habit, it's easy to start, you know, adjusting your budget to put that money away each month. And I think there is such a great feeling to watch that uh, account grow and grow and grow. It, it makes you feel good about what you're doing and it reinforces what you're doing so that you can stay the course and continue to add uh, to your emergency fund month by month. My other story would be that uh, they are very handy to have on hand because one month uh, years ago on an online payment, I added an extra zero to the amount of money that I was sending to Oh, you. no. Uh, oh, no. What, what, is a, what is a decimal place amongst friends, Kevin? Really? So, uh, so fortunately, uh, the, it was for a, a credit card, and, and fortunately, they refunded, you know, the, the mistake. But, you know, I was stuck with no money in my checking. Well, no, not no money, but very little money in my checking account for a little while. So, again, it was uh, peace of mind to know that the emergency fund was there ready for me to use. Uh, when I needed to use it. And again, uh, I did the right thing. And when things got straightened out, put the money back in there. But uh, Goodness. I remember that. Well, that was certainly a, a wake up call, as it were. 
Um, so, Nancy, I guess uh, the other thing, too, is not everyone's emergency fund would look the same. You need to consider, you know, your situation, and it might be uh, different for a single person versus a, a family. Um, you always hear this rule of thumb of having three to six months' worth of your income parked in an emergency fund. I don't necessarily follow that rule. I think it depends on how secure your job is. And again, this last year, there were a lot of people who thought they had secure jobs, and it turns out they lost employment. But if you're a commissioned salesperson and your income fluctuates widely, then you need to have more months set aside because there could be a dry spell. And, and then, you you know, it's feast or famine in those areas. Um, if you're a business owner and your business declines, you need to be prepared for that. If you are a government employee, Kevin, for instance, you've worked at MPB for many, many years, you have more of a secure situation. I'm not as concerned about having six months' worth of income set aside for you as I would for, let's say, a real estate agent that is going to be living off of those commissions that come and go. So look at how secure your income is. That's really the key to how many months worth or how much in dollars you need set aside. So, uh, Ryder, um, where should you keep your emergency fund? You know, there's the old uh, adage of the, the, you know, the the money under the mattress, uh, but I guess it needs to be easily accessible. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of money on their mattress, but actually, you know, keeping, you know, uh, especially in the kind of uh, you know cartoon way of you're you're just building a mound under there. It is it is actually important, and we do talk about it. You know, I know every every hurricane season, we certainly talk about the importance of having. Uh, Plenty of cash available for, especially if you have to evacuate, if you're not able to to get to a bank in time, you're not able to get to an ATM. There is truly there is valuable in keeping cash at the house. Of course, there's a lot of risks in keeping cash at the house as well. So just evaluate that on your own. But you know, for a larger emergency fund, um, especially one that you want to be able to forget about, and and it is safe because if the emergency is your house burns down, then that cash wasn't any good. Um, in, a, in an account, you know, I we, we love, we talk about high interest savings accounts that you can find online. Um, those are great because it's not necessarily going to be at your, your current bank. It's not necessarily going to be at your bank where you're swiping your card every day. So you're not going to see it. It's not going to just immediately get access, but you can still link it to your local bank. You can still link it to a checking account so that when that emergency does arise, you know, you can find it, you can log on, you can send the money in, in a day or so, you're going to be squared away. Um, because of that, you can, because of the nature of an emergency fund, you can afford to look for those higher interest, you know, money market funds or short-term CDs that are going to pay you a little bit more restrictions on when you access it. Um, just because you don't expect to access it, you know, I mean, you hope to never access it, but you can afford to lock it up a little bit uh, for that higher interest rate and pay you know, maybe a small penalty if you do have to, if to have to access it just because how frequently you would do it is you would not expect it. You would expect to make more money that way. We're discussing financial preparation for emergencies. What do you need to put in an emergency kit or how can you make an emergency plan? We'll have that for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
you already know, MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? Trucks to motorcycles, cars, even 18-wheelers. Your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on Think Radio. For more information on how to donate your vehicle, visit mpbonline.org slash support. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. I'm Kevin Farrell, along with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. If you'd like a list of disaster supplies you should keep in a kit or how to create an emergency plan concerning your family and kids, go to ready.org. Org and look at their preparedness materials. We have a caller on the line, so let's uh, welcome Rain from South Haven into our discussion this morning. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Yes, good morning. I just have a comment. All of this information about opening up a savings account and a rainy day fund, things like that, wouldn't all of this be better suited to be taught in little or elementary school or high school uh, so that um, when uh, by the time they're finished with all of that uh, as adults you won't have a bank claiming to invest in the community by conducting classes to teach people how to open up and manage a savings account I remember being taken to the post office uh, which operated as a savings bank back then, and opening up a savings account. I still have that savings account to this very day, and I'm in my 70s. And uh, when I went in the Air Force in 1972, oh, Lord, they took a long time to pay you any money, so I went to a credit union, and I opened up a share account. And I still have that account today. They are actually the recipient of my retirement payment each month after 30 years and uh, as a as a retired person I established an account with uh, a local commercial bank uh, 15 years 16 years ago the gentleman that opened the account became the branch manager and the key to establishing these relationships is that I ended up having uh, relationships with the savings account post office. She was a postmistress. Um, to this very day, I speak to her every Sunday. She's 96 years old. Uh, my bank manager, if something happened, uh, you know, uh, that I did not mean to happen, uh, pick up the phone and I call and I say, this is uh, Orain and I've got this problem and he knows who I'm talking to. 
Um, so I think a savings account is more than just opening up a savings account and having it developing relationships. And, uh, that's all I have to say. I think it should start in the elementary and high school so that as adults you don't waste your time dealing with things that are so simple. It's a shame. Thanks ever so much. All right. Uh, thanks for the call. Nancy, I know that you're a big proponent of, you know, increasing financial literacy uh, in our schools. Uh, but this is also something that you could, uh, on a family level, uh, if, you know, when you talk about these things, involve your kids in, in the decisions and, and the things that you do about money management. Yes, you should. Um, you should talk to your children and help them as they age and can understand more about money and spending and saving and delaying purchases because, you know, you've got to save for them. Um, but there are a lot of families that don't do that. And so we have been working very hard in our school system and trying to teach some of the things that he's talking about. I certainly agree with him. We need to teach our children how to open these accounts, how to uh, develop a budget, how to live within their means. And I'm also a huge proponent beyond just learning to save, because I learned to do that from my parents, but they didn't know about investing. And so we need to teach our children about investing and we're getting better at doing that because when we combine both of those, high savings and knowledge about investing so that you make your money grow, that's the way to build wealth. And that's the key to it all. Also, I think he had a good point. You know, uh, the bank I uh, uh, the the bank I bank with, I guess if that's the right way to say it, there's a branch right around the corner from where I work, and so I frequently go there for deposits, withdrawals, and that sort of thing. And if you do can develop a relationship with the people that work there at the bank, uh, there can be some benefits. At one time, although he's now moved to another uh, spot in the company, I knew the manager there, and um, there was one thing uh, that he, he kind of he didn't cheat, but he kind of eased some restrictions on something that I was doing. And so I think it's a good point, too. If you can build a relationship with uh, someone at your financial institution, uh, that certainly doesn't doesn't hurt. That's for sure. So as well, if you're a business, go ahead, if you're a business owner, if you're a business owner, it's very important for you to have a relationship with your local banker. And again, certainly during this pandemic with those PPP loans, those went through the local bankers. So those business owners need to ha cultivate that relationship have that connection. Uh, those bankers know about your business and they can be comfortable loaning money to you. I will say things are a little bit different now than, than maybe what Rain experienced early on with local banks because there are a lot more regulations, a lot more limitations on what they can and cannot do, but still it is important to have that relationship. So as we talk about uh, preparing for weather emergencies, uh, Ryder, do you think there's some non-monetary things that you can prepare for, maybe getting to know your neighbors? Absolutely. And that's what I wanted. I was, I was, that call was great because he noted that it was more than just building up his savings account. It was about the relationships he formed. And, you know, that really gets a look, preparing for emergencies, in, in, in a monetary way, in, in a fiscal way, 
is easy. I mean, you just you just save the money, you know. And once you have the money, the money's there, and that's that. I mean, it's not it's not it's not complicated. The more interesting thing that I wrote about being prepared is preparing yourself in other ways. And you know, we talked about having a resilient budget. Have a resilient network. Um, you know, yes, as simple as knowing your neighbors. For the longest time, my parents have always told this story of when my older brother was born. Um, it's, it's a January baby. There was an ice storm. And for a week or more, there was no power on their street. But my parents had a gas stove. And so many neighbors were able to come over and they could cook and they could eat there. You know, they had gas stove, they had gas heat. So they were, even without electricity, you know, they were kind of good to go and they could, um, and they could share that with their neighbors. And that was very important. Um, you know, recently, you know, with with water troubles, you know, uh, you know, we had in, in my house. Fortunately, our, our water pressure was never so low that we didn't have water. Uh, we were able to, you know, kind of uh, give boiled or filtered water to friends who didn't have water, uh, things like that. So having, you know, having a network who can do things for you is super important. Um, you know, one culmination of an emergency that happened to me last year was, you know, I had I had surgery on my foot, and um, you know, I was fortunate. You know, I was working from home. I didn't lose my job, thank you, Nancy. Um, it, but and I also had money saved up so that while I was home, you know, and, and kind of unable to do a whole lot for a while, you know, I, I I was still able to pay for my groceries. I was still able to pay for food. I was still able to pay my bills, but I still needed because <laughs> I had surgery on my foot. I was not able to walk. I still needed people to bring that food to me. And so if I didn't have a network of folks, and yes, you know, that includes my 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 wife who lives in the house, of course, uh, and her, you know, some neighbors, uh, some of her friends, my mother lives nearby, you know, people who are able to come and, and bring things to me or do things for me, you know, you know, it's it's more than just the money that made me resilient through that. It's the network, it's the people that were able to help me out and just and just sometimes, you know, people who have a skill that I need, you know, um, you know, being being resilient in your in your life, you know, you can take care of yourself, you can cook for yourself, you can repair things around your house, even if you can't do those things, uh, you maybe have neighbors who can do it. Um, over the last summer, you know, we, we had a neighbor who was going through a divorce. And you know, it kind of a you know, a different emergency. What emergencies look like are different for everybody. Um, but something just as simple as, you know, for a while, you know, she was working, she was going through a divorce, she didn't have someone who could take care of her long. Um, and so a neighbor did, you know, a couple of neighbors did step up and help, you know, helped her with landscaping, helped her <laughs> clean her lawn up. And it's you know not necessarily huge or expensive things. But having a network who has the expertise and the ability to help you out when you need it is, is incredibly important. And uh, so that comment about developing relationships was, was very, very important. Uh, you know, I would agree. I'm going to be having some work done on my bathroom in my house, the, having the uh, floor replaced. And unfortunately, that's the only shower and bathroom I have in the house. And so um, even anticipating this uh, before it's actually happened, I've had two friends that have said, hey, if you need to take a shower, 
we have got one that we can let you use. So it is very important to build up these human networks as well, and you know, and uh, also be ready to help out your friends and neighbors uh, when they're in a in a bind, because uh, you might be the one that's in the bind at a later time, and you would certainly hope that uh, folks would help you out as well. Uh, Absolutely. On, on our website, we've got a link to the Federal Emergency Management Agency's Be Prepared for Our Financial Emergency Handout. It's ready.gov slash financial hyphen preparedness. Uh, as we go to our next break, let's uh, run through some of their suggestions. We've talked about starting an emergency savings account. They also recommend reviewing insurance coverage, flood, health, renters, homeowners. Uh, create and update an emergency plan. Our May 8, 2018 show went over filling out a FEMA plan booklet. But this episode's information will have that updated website to download that emergency financial first aid kit. Uh, you should keep important records safe in a waterproof, fireproof container or in the cloud. Uh, protect your property by taking photos uh, and keep cash in a secure place in case ATMs aren't accessible. We're talking about financial preparedness for emergencies. Do you know what to do if you were in a crowded public space and there was an attack? We'll tell you how you can learn what to do next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Pleased you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Here's a reminder every Tuesday at 10 a.m., listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, comes up right after our show. Whether you might need to know what to do during an avalanche, extreme heat, or a nuclear explosion, Ready.gov has tips that you can read so that you're super prepared. So uh, I don't think avalanche would be something that we would be concerned with here in Mississippi, but uh, heat and, unfortunately, a nuclear explosion uh, might be a couple of things. But it's always good to be well-prepared because you never know when you're traveling somewhere else, maybe visiting friends out west, uh, like I plan to do later this year. Uh, but always good to be prepared on a number of different uh, for a number of different scenarios. We've got a caller on the line so let's say good morning to david who has called us from memphis david you're on the air so go ahead yeah good morning uh i'm glad you're covering the ready.gov uh information there's some really good content and subject matter uh uh in detail on that site but one uh, aspect of that is uh something that uh, is more locally focused on hazards for everyone's community 
have the community emergency response training uh, or team. Sir, um, most cases you can uh, contact your local fire department, first responders, and uh, they do. There are communities that offer that training for communities, so you develop a little emergency response cadre for your particular neighborhood or subdivision. Um, they teach everything from splinting limbs to how to properly and safely search a building, uh, you know, being aware of the hazards that occur after disaster, certainly down lines. But they also cover, again, more specifically, the, the, the localized hazards we have in the Mid-South. Uh, certainly last week, the severe weather, but uh, more of a but, uh, flood uh, risk and hazard. There are more people that lose their lives in floods than any other hazard. So just, in, uh, just a word of advice to check out CERT on ready.gov, and there's all the information you need there. All right, uh, David, thanks for the call. That's uh, great. That's, you know, the community spirit there, folks working together to keep themselves and uh, their neighbors safe. So that's, uh, again, uh, we've been talking about ready.gov, and uh, David mentions the CERT, C-E-R-T. If you're interested, you can uh, check that out. So, David, we appreciate your giving us a call this morning. Got a couple of minutes left. FEMA's handout, Be Prepared for a Financial Emergency, has suggestions for what to do after the emergency. Some of the points are to want to log into disasterassistance.com to find out if you qualify for financial disaster relief. Uh, Nancy, is this usually in the form of uh, maybe low-interest loans for uh, both, I would guess, businesses and homeowners to kind of rebuild if, if they have uh, damage after a weather event? Typically, that is the case, and that requires a federal uh, announcement, and, and it's a, an official policy that that's available to you. There could be other things that are available. Uh, certainly when we had hurricanes before, then um, we had agencies, uh, both federal and state, that showed up and uh, gave out even uh, debit cards that were loaded so that you could go to a hotel and you could get things paid for. So all kinds of things can be available depending on the proclamation. It also says to make a list of all property damage and contact your insurance company. Uh, and Ryder, I guess uh, photos would certainly be extremely helpful for this, especially when you begin to deal with the insurance company. Uh, absolutely. And so you know, while, while, you know, so you don't want to get on your roof necessarily and take a photo <laughs> of a limb that's fallen there. Um, but, you know, that was actually something that happened to me not too long ago. Uh, a limb fell and had to had to have a, a roofer come patch it up. And they also got some photos for me just so I knew I was dealing with, of course, the insurance also will eventually send their own person. But also important, you know, to, to kind of know what this, what condition things were before. Uh, you know, so you always hear a story of, oh, you know, the insurance said that this, this was uh, not a pre-existing condition for my house. But, you know, they said that the damage was already there. That was not a, a new uh, thing. So, you know, not, I'm not necessarily saying go around and take photos of every you know, inch of your walls and, 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 and square foot of your roof. But having a good idea, you know, being very familiar with with your home, being very familiar with the condition that your car is in, uh, keeping good records of what you have had done in the past, 
um, because if you can say, you know, no, or yes, I had this repaired recently, uh, so there's no reason that it would have been uh, in this state uh, is, is good. So keeping careful records and yes, uh, photos of, of the damage of it, you know, as, as, as soon as you can, that's important. And as we wrap things up, just a con uh, few other uh, um, bullet points on the FEMA's uh, be prepared for a financial emergency, what to do in the wake and the aftermath of the emergency. Uh, be cautious of scams. You know, we want to make sure you see uh, licenses from uh, contractors and builders, that sort of thing. Uh, prioritize your spending. You might be short on cash, so you want to make sure that you've got the cash going to where it should. Uh, research for tax breaks. And here's an interesting one. Turn off utilities if you're unable to live in your home. You don't want any further uh, damage or disaster disasters happening uh, after an emergency has rolled through. That'll wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners, and a big thanks to contributors and sustainers for our successful drive last week. To hear today's show or previous show, visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill. Our call screener today was Java Chapman. For Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, committed to assisting businesses impaired by COVID-19. Trustmark is now providing small business loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. More information at trustmark.com PPP. Member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.